Welcome back to Following Noah on Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 177, and we are in chapters 32 through 37 of The Hero of Ages. And as I was doing that intro, I realized I needed to make an announcement. Elantris, on the podcast, we, we need to announce this. So, as of recording this, your three podcast hosts, myself, Paul, and Elliot, are currently reading Elantris. At the end of The Hero of Ages, we will be doing one extended episode on Elantris. It, it'll be, I, I guess it'll probably be about two hours. It'll be probably about the same as two episodes um, tied into one will be my guess. Uh, first question, why? Okay, why are we doing this? Because we don't have enough time before Stormlight 5 to read it. So we're going to read it, but we will not be covering it week by week as we have every other book on the podcast so far. So if you have not read Elantris in a while or have never read Elantris, we are going to be doing one episode immediately following the end of the Hero of Ages on Elantris. Paul, how are you? Uh, wonderful. Um, and not near far enough into Elantris, now that you mention it. <laughs> um, no, I'm excited about that. Um, that'll be fun. We, uh, f For the record, we will have time to read the book, just not to... Um, not to cover chapter by chapter. We can't split it up too much uh, with our releases before we're, you know, it's awesome. We're thinking about book five release already, um, which it's, I want to say it's around the corner. It's still about a year away, but, you know, under a year instead of like two years, which is what we were looking at. So super exciting. Elliot? Doing good. Doing well. It's been an entire week since last episode, and I am still wearing my Bridge 4 socks. That's gross. There they are. That's gross. Not, stink not stinky at all. I respect it. That's entire week. Commitment. They're still true, on my feet. True Bridge 4 commitment. You don't change your clothes in an entire week. Yep. Just I was going to say, you, you think they had a fresh pair of socks every day, Trevor? Hey. That's a little bit... They have a high storm a little bit every like seven days. They get plenty clean. Every every seven <laughs> days, there's a built-in power wash on Roshar. True. Spoilers. Yeah, you have a point there. Okay. Hero of Ages, chapter thirty-two through thirty-seven. We will get a chapter or a brief summary of some events, including maybe the best scene in the book after the intro. Take it away, Elliot. Okay, chapters 32 through 37. This carries us through the end of part two and a little bit of the way into part three. Chapter 32 is a lengthy one with the bulk of the scene from the ball, the dancing and talking and, and a lot of the interactions from 
Elend and Vin, who have infiltrated Yeoman's Ball and is talking to lots of people. Chapter 33, we get uh, another check back in on Tensoon. Haven't seen him in a little while, and he manages to escape. He is a dog and uh, runs away really fast, which if you've ever tried to catch a dog is totally realistic, by the way. <laughs> Those things are fast, man. I don't care what dog it is. They're all fast. Do you do anyway. you have a skeleton made of crystal? Does does that uh, maybe feed into this? Maybe. I mean, imagine maybe. imagine having a skeleton made of crystal and then trying to catch a dog. Right. Anyway, chapter thirty four. I think this is the start of part three here. Maybe I have that in the wrong spot. The we got a marsh perspective. Other, I'm starting to kind of dread these marsh perspectives. They they're a little uh, gruesome. How many people say. is he going to kill in this chapter? Right. Yeah, takes out quite a few, and uh, including someone, uh, a noble. He seems to uh, empower an element or a hemallergic. I get all my terms straight here. He creates a hemallergic spike from an alamancer. Yeah. Before a volcano blows up. Yeah, then a volcano blows up. Uh, moving on, chapter 35, Spook is still hearing voices in his head and chatting with uh, with a lot of people, trying to figure out what he's going to do. Back over with our our army. Ellen and Vin are, are outside the city. Fadric's city, I think, is, is where they're at, right? And they're still musing about why people get sick in the mists, trying to figure that out, and then they get attacked. Yeoman launches... Uh, an attack on them and uh, manages to take out half of the entire Coloss army. Pretty, pretty impressive. And then we get a, what feels like a pretty big reveal about Coloss themselves. And that'll, that'll do it for this episode. Just as an aside, do you guys remember what my one request was at the end of last book for this book? Nope. I wanted to spend time outside of Luthadel. Oh yeah. You remember that? I don't think we've had a single chapter inside Luthadel. <laughs> I think I think we've spent the entire time in one random town or the other outside of Luthadel. So there you go. Brandon heard you. Yeah. Thanks, 2008 Brandon Sanderson, for <laughs> granting my wish. Yeah, this book in general, as you mentioned that, is, is more of... Of what we kind of know as a Brandon Sanderson book, I think. It has flashbacks. We've gotten our first little flashback type thing. We've gotten to explore some other characters. Spook, most notably. Um, and we've seen outside of outside of our outside of Luthadel. So it, it feels a little more like we're used to, I guess. Or a little more immersive into the world as a whole and our cast instead of just our main characters. What is the name of Ellen's, like, Al from high school that he talks to in 32? Teldon? Teldon. Teldon. So we start chapter 32 by talking to Teldon, who we haven't seen. I th He probably had, what, two lines of dialogue in The Final Empire? And he's back, and Ellen actually has a pretty cool conversation with him. He has a... He talks to him about, yeah, like, life's pretty good. I became king, and then I had to kill some people, and then I became king again. And then he gets to, like, brag on his wife about how awesome Vin is, which I think is a really cool scene. He, like, 
turns to his wife and Teldon says, you know, how'd you get a catch like that? And Ellen says, I got no idea, dude. Isn't that awesome? I think that's such a cool and wholesome scene of he's just bragging on his wife because he's proud of Vin. This chapter has so much in it. This was a this is a great chapter for a lot of reasons. It's just kind of fun. It's a little more lighthearted, at least in places. There's a little goofiness. Ellen pulls out a book while they're trying to dance just to be silly. So iconic. Such an iconic scene of like, as, as you, as the scenes unfolding, you're like, no, he's not. Yeah, he is. He's, he's pulling out a book because he thinks it's cute and it is cute. It's admitted, admits it. (laughs) Like after, after the shock that Vin feels, she's like, that's almost like thoughtful of you to bring a book like it you did at the first ball when you ignored me like i don't know how to feel about this but i like you like that's that's vin's thoughts okay so it is it is cute it is cute trevor like you're saying but i I will say i will say so i've gotten a little bit of flack lately especially when they were reading Yumi about me becoming a softie. And I want to say for the record, this actually did not make it through my vetting. Oh. I thought this was a bit... I, I thought it was... I was like, all right, okay, next. Oh. You know, not in a bad way. It is... <laughs> oh. It was It was, It was. was sweet. It was sweet. I give you that. And it was funny. Like, I had a, I had a laugh with it. I wasn't, like, uncomfortable. Like, I, I won't talk about the way of kings here but there's some rather passionate moments that i uh, made fun of in, in our initial read throughs that's like episode four or something like that so that's a long time ago but you know it's a bit sappy it was cute it, it but, was whatever but uh let, but i'm standing let me walk you through this okay this book was written before I, the the Stormlight archive is this scene better than any sappy scene we get in the Stormlight Archive? Does he do a better job here than he does with A and B in Stormlight? I would actually say so. Okay. Uh, off the top okay. of my head, there are there is there are moments. There is one moment I'm thinking of in particular, which I don't think I can say because you know someone listening may not be may not have read Stormlight, and that's fine. But I. Um, there's another moment which compares, but I would honestly say point blank. I would probably say that I think this is better than. I would also say that. It's it's no you me, but uh, it's good. It's definitely it's definitely teenage romance. I'll, I'll I'll just say that it's it's cheesy. It's cute for sure. Did I groan? Yes, yes, I groaned. Y'all are a bunch of Grinches over here. Paul, absolutely. I, I will say, absolutely. You should not read Skyward. <laughs> Skyward is chock full of scenes like this, um, like awkward, kind of cute teen romance. Yeah, I'm gonna have to pass on that. Then, sorry, Brandon. I I do think, I do think it added to the scene really well, though. It it very much fit with. This scene didn't feel out of place. Was it cheesy? Yeah, it was cheesy. But it's it's because Ellen is cheesy, not right. that the writing is is cheesy. Yes, it was. I can I agree with that. Yes, 
it was it, it was well done it was a it was a very cute moment for for ellen and vin and it fit into a chapter that had so much more in it as well you had the the wholesome and the cheesy right next to the like little intrigue and fascinating maneuvering that actually really piqued my interest yeah i i gave well of ascension the entire book a little bit of flack because it was a lot of political maneuvering and there were times where i kind of checked out a little bit because it was like oh and here we go another another politics discussion this right here was was very politics but it was it was really engaging and i can't even really explain why but this whole scene with just the the, the physical elements of the dancing and what we're figuring out, the interesting conversation with Telden, the cheesy moment with Vin. There was just so much going on here. It felt like a really well-rounded chapter. I can't explain why. Under a Stormlight spoiler. So I will, oh. I will go on a rant again about this scene at the end of the episode. Looking forward to that. I'll mention briefly bordering into spoiler territory but not actually while we're talking about it here this i felt was another great example of sanderson really captures leadership really well Mm. there's there's some moments where a character is going through something about how do i lead or challenges that come with leadership that Sanderson just hits a nail on the head. And this is another one. Ellen is having that, that talk with his buddy, Teldon. And Teldon's kind of challenging him. And then there's the conversation with Yeoman. And Ellen has to really face up to, am I a hypocrite? Do I doubt myself? Do I have the confidence to trust myself in the direction that I know I need to lead in? Like that is leadership right there is trying to get people to go where you know they need to go and having faith in yourself that that's the right journey to go on because people are going to challenge you. You're going to get called out. People are going to push against you and you can't you can't back down. You have to listen. You have to have that awareness and that perspective of yourself and you have to have humility, but you also have to have confidence. You also have to have that, no, we're going. This is a mountain that needs to be climbed. We're doing it. And there's so many elements of that that we kind of get a glimpse into Ellen's brain here in this chapter, even more so, maybe much more so than like a conversation with Tindwell in the the last book. It was it was really cool and really well woven into this chapter. Yeah, I agree. I I really enjoy how you can feel what Ellen feels at the end of this chapter. Ellen at walking away from Yeoman, Ellen says, I almost had him. We were almost there. I I could have convinced him. I just played it a little bit wrong, I think. And the the way the scene is written, you've never met Yeoman before, but they they make references to the same books and they have the same philosophy points. Like you do feel as a reader that Yeoman's a pretty good guy. Like that's how Ellen feels at the end of the scene. And you feel as a reader there isn't necessarily a good or bad guy in this scene. It's just a guy that's in Ellen's way, as Ellen puts it. And you really want this to work out between them and that this battle doesn't have to happen, but it just, it will. 
more on that later. Ten soon is found guilty. I didn't remember that he was actually found guilty. I thought like there was more debate between like the first generation. I remember that the first generation spoke, but I didn't remember what they said. And in this scene, all they say is proceed con par or whatever. Like they confirm that they're alive, but that's all they do. I thought there was more of a dialogue and that they were going to find Tensoon like kind of guilty or kind of, no, they just find Tensoon guilty and he escapes. That's how part two ends. That's not what I, I, I didn't remember that. I was, I was half ready for the reveal to be the first generation are actually all dead and they just sit up there and aren't even alive anymore. And everyone right. like still worships them and they're whatever. But yeah, you're right. We do get confirmation of they, they do. They're alive. They can talk. They apparently ignore the world to make the second generation do everything, but whatever. I mean, wouldn't you do that too? If you were living for a thousand years, wouldn't you make your kids do it? I yeah, probably. I can relate to that. Out of all the things in this book, living a thousand years and making my kids do it, I can relate to that. <laughs> Is that it for part two? Anything else? I mean, part three. I it is. So, part three is an explosive entrance, but. Well, so with the Tensoon stuff, I feel like it is fair to mention how big of a deal it is of like him running out and just all the stuff that happens. Like, this is like new. This has never happened. It's not like there's any, as far as we know, I guess, but I, I would say pretty confidently we've never, they've never had anything like this happen. There's not another person who's run away like this. I don't, I don't know if Tensoon may be able to guess what may happen. And and so right, he gets his punishment, right? He gets his punishment and it's to be tortured for a thousand know. years and then <laughs> Killed after a thousand years. Yes, exactly. And so, <laughs> I um yeah, that's that's what he's uh going to have come up. So he says no, thank you, and runs away. And I don't know what. There's not really anything, as far as I know. There's not anything that could be done past that, right? Like he's gonna, if he runs away, if he gets caught and brought back, then he's going to face that maybe it's longer than a thousand years, who knows. But he he's like really broken the levels of how bad you can be as a Contra, I guess. According to them, he's like basically ruined their future just about, or has, has risked ruining the future of the Contra altogether and stuff. And it's kind of crazy, you know, like there, there's a lot going on. So, um, Tensoon's not in a great spot to say. So it seems like such a such a foreign concept too, in, in the sense that I, I am getting the feeling that this is a very momentous occasion in Condra history. This is maybe the first Condra who's ever done something so rebellious. And yet I feel like as 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 a human being, rebellion is kind of part of life. It is not a shock at all to have someone break a law because they felt like what they were doing was right. That that seems pretty 
I don't want to say it feels commonplace necessarily because maybe that justifies breaking laws because you feel like it, which I don't condone. But at the same time, humans are just kind of rebellious creatures. We, you write a law and we'll find ways to break it. It's, it's just kind of how life works to, to have that be a landmark in your entire history is very foreign. Condra becoming human-like. Now, ah. Elliot, prediction on a Condra. What does Tensoon do with the rest of the book? Well, that one doesn't feel too hard. His whole decision tree has been based off of Vin. Uh-huh. And that Vin is the hero of ages or the successor of the Lord ruler. Maybe you can even jump to some conclusions that she is the successor. Dare I even use the word like vessel or potential vessel of preservation. And the capital. He, he seems. Yeah, I would, I would capitalize that as well. Vin. Vin the vessel. Yes. So I, it seems like his next next step has to be he runs to Vin and is mm. going to join her team. But then what? What does that, he do? That's... I want a bold prediction on he shows up at Vin's oh. doorstep and does. He he's got some answers that he's that he's not sharing. That I know for sure. The Condor are the wise ones that have all the information. So my desire, my hope would be that he goes and spills the beans on all the lore that I desperately want that we haven't gotten yet. But what is he actually? I I don't know. He. It'd be nice to get some more information about preservation out of him. Okay. I feel like we're learning about ruin. I'm, I'm now going back on where where I felt I knew a bit about preservation and nothing about ruin. Now I'm like, okay, I, I I'm starting to get a feeling for what ruin is, what ruin is trying to do, what's preservation trying to do, where's preservation fit into all of this, and I think. I remember somebody at one point, probably ten soon. I think it's explicitly said that the Chondra are of preservation. Yep, that's con. That's, I mean, you know him as Orsir at the time, but that's ten soon. Yes, sure. So it'd be nice for him to expound upon that, maybe. Yeah, we could definitely use a Chondra on the team. They seem to be pretty powerful in what they can do and learn and gather information. So. Maybe he just goes back to being a spy for for Vin. Are we trying to sneak in anywhere that he could get in there? Come on. Come on. There's an underground chasm that we're trying to sneak into, right? Well, yeah. Vin's got that covered. She's misborn. I don't think she's got it covered. But she can basically do anything. That's kind of in the moral of the story. So I'm I'm with Elliot. She's the chosen one. She's got the plot armor. Wait, hold up. You you say she's the chosen one. You predicted she was gonna die in episode one of this book. (laughs) So what which one is it? Have you not read Harry Potter? Go read Harry Potter right now. Wow. The chosen one died. Spoilers, yeah. Go read Harry Potter if you haven't done it. Spoilers. Holy cow. Oh my goodness. (laughs) We're like I'm 20 years on. I'm reading through Harry Potter right now, which is really funny. <laughs> Can you be the chosen one and die? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Star Wars, Harry Potter, you mm. name it. But isn't the whole point that Anakin's not the chosen one? 
Well, yeah, that's a debate I've had with people before that are way more Star Wars lore yeah. versed in I'm me. not huge on Star Wars, but I thought the whole point was Anakin wasn't the chosen one, and he was supposed no, to thought, be. I thought he was, but that he didn't fulfill it until he died and took the Emperor out with him. Oh, okay. That was the fulfilling of the chosen one whole thing. But I think I've been vehemently lectured on that by other smarter Star Wars people. So maybe I'm wrong. Let us know down in the comments if Anakin is the is the chosen one of Star Wars. Anyway, uh, do you have a theme for part two, Elliot? I I do. Of the I, hero I feel... just... <laughs> Yes. Good clarification. Mistborn, the hero of ages. Theme of part two. I, I, I scraped it together. The, the word I came up with was conversion. I was trying to find something that was capturing what I feel like Spook is undergoing. He's undergoing a conversion of some kind and not in a positive sense. I am terrified about where Spook is going. And I think there's some kind of spiritual, religious, magical, whatever you want to call it, conversion of, of Spook. And it's not... Uh, it's not going to end well for him in that case. I I think Sazed continues to maybe battle a conversion to, to atheism or maybe like trying to convert himself to something and being unsuccessful. But yeah, people are changing. You guys remember who I said my favorite character in Mistborn Era 1 was? Is it Sazed? It's Elend. Nope. That's he told me a long time ago. So I'm going to hold you to that because At whenever the... I first read Era One, you were like, "I just waited for all the Elend parts." That's like <laughs> what I remember. I'll go. I'll go back and find the message. You're like, okay. "I was just there to read about Elend." Um, in our Final Empire wrap-up episode, I said my favorite. My favorite character in the final empire is ham but my favorite character in mistborn era one is demu and both of you gave me a weird look of like demu he's in like one scene in the final empire tangentially on your conversion in theme of part two um demu wakes up from his sickness at the end of this episode and he has a existential crisis um did you guys pick up on this scene well he goes to ellen and he's like i'm not good enough or i'm not devout enough or something do you guys remember this conversation yeah he's he's all in on the kelsier is the mist thing right he is not not to be dissuaded from from that so he's he's a bit shattered that kelsier slash mist decided he was not worthy and struck him down with illness yeah he's he's the most devout member of the church of the survivor that you can find and any words that ellen says he like treats as gospel because he's ellen is kind of like a part of the church of the survivor because he's vin's husband so he that makes him kind of a a church figure. So anything that Ellen says, he like hangs on and puts a bunch of weight into. And so Ellen made a speech a couple episodes ago that says, 
don't be afraid of the mists because Kelsier's Lord of the Mists and he's just trying to rally his troops. And so then Damu comes to him in this scene and says, I, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible person. You said it. Like, Kelsier thinks I'm a horrible person because I got sick. And Ellen's like, oh my gosh, how do I? <laughs> I, I didn't actually think what I said, but he definitely believes what I said. So I need to be really careful of what I say. Interesting dynamic. Yeah, I... I uh... Sorry, you go right ahead, Elliot. I don't, have, I don't have too much to add, so I can I can pass it to you. I was just gonna say, I'm not quite sure how to take Demu. I appreciate his his loyalty and his his faith, but at the same time, I'm kind of with Ellen of get over yourself, dude. We got a battle to fight. Like <laughs> let's 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 pull it together here. I, I was thinking similarly similarly to you. I'm like, well. You know, I appreciate that you like to move. May I be so bold as to say you're grasping at? I feel I feel like that's almost grasping at straws a little bit. I feel like the move hasn't had that major of a part. He has he has grown. It's grown, but I'm like, you know. But but to be fair, this is also how I felt, probably in. Um, further in the stormlight, when other characters like other bridge men get like more and more and more of parts mm -hmm. so it's like it surprises me that demu would be your favorite but i mean there's still there's still a lot of ground to cover but I, i'm like you know i feel like i just feel like playing outright haven't seen him enough or he's been prevalent enough to to be a favorite so yeah well i bet you're not alone i bet there's some other demu enjoyers out there you ready for an out of but context, also, out of context spoiler that some people will enjoy? I am. Yes, so I am looking forward to re-evaluating this conversation after Atlantis. Okay. Interesting. All right. We had a volcano blow up in uh, chapter what thirty four, thirty five. Elliot, you want to talk about Marsh again? I love. I know you love talking about Marsh. After after nearly naming him a favorite character in in book one, now I'm now I'm dreading the uh, the Marsh scenes. We uh, he kills some people, so, someone very specifically, and yet reveals to us some interesting information about hemallergy. But between this between this chapter with Marsh and the epigraphs both kind of in the second half of, of part two and the, these first few ones here in part three, getting some very clear answers about what chemoallergy is, how you do it, what it is accomplishing. I, we finally got that answer. I, I still was kind of hanging on the, what what is even happening when you're chemoallergic or whatever the verb is that probably doesn't exist. Well, we, we get answers. And, and Marsh does it here in this scene where he spikes this misting. I think the guy's a misting alamancer of some kind. Mm -hmm. And we're we're told, we're taught that by doing so, he can steal, not just like acquire, but steal the the alamancy from that person. I guess the person's dead, so it doesn't 
really matter anyway. Important you, distinction. You the, power. the dead yeah. body doesn't have allomancy anymore. It, that feels like an important point to me. I, I was waiting to see like, you know, oh, you, you stick the spike in the person and they gain the power. It, it's, it's, it is specifically taking. Mm-hmm. It is specifically taking the power from the Allomancer and transfer, transferring it to another person. Or in this scene with Marsh, he, kind of the intermediate step is into the spike. Yep. We, we've seen people get impaled. But Mike, Mike, Marsh, Marsh, just Michael. <laughs> Michael? Marsh. I think I think I, I think I combined Marsh and Spike in, <laughs> together in my in my head. Marsh spikes the dude, and then now has a hemallergic spike that is not impaled on anyone yet, but he's harvested. I think that word gets used mm-hmm. at one point. Yep, he has harvested the the power into that spike, and and then there's an explanation. I don't remember if it's in an epigraph or not that. It is the most efficient transfer if you immediately spike that into the person you're trying to give it to, yep. which is why in the scenes we've seen before, it involves like stabbing someone through the heart and into the other person, like as quickly as possible, steal the power and immediately transfer it into the other person. Right. So the implication there being Marsh has killed this person, stolen their power. But that's a far less effective way to transfer because now he's going to just go take that spike somewhere else and then it'll have wasted a lot of its power. So and, and answers are trickling in. In my book, at least, I can't speak for yours. In my book, it specifically clarifies allomantic hemallergy, which would imply that there's ferrochemical hemallergy. Right? Yeah. Yep. I think one of the epigraphs addresses that specifically. Does it? That that you can you can take Yeah, cuz it talks about the healing. Oh yeah, it, it talks does. about that's that's how the uh that's how the inquisitors are able to heal so quickly is they have hemallergically stolen ferrochemical healing powers. That is a lot of fantasy words I just used in one sentence. That uh-huh. was absolutely that, it is. probably that's immense. someone who's not <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take that. Yeah. Okay, so when we were doing the Final Empire, I did shorts, and I loved comments on our YouTube shorts on the Final Empire because we talked about that type of thing. I've been like, so yeah, if you steal push onto when there's a copper cloud that you can't you you can't feel that, and then YouTube comments would be like, what on earth are you guys talking <laughs> about? Like you just come up yeah. on somebody's feed and somebody felt inclined to comment as opposed to just scroll past <laughs> anyway um i entered this episode not wanting to read some epigraphs but i lied i'm gonna read some epigraphs um before you do that yes. i, I want to briefly mention oh i, I want to just add on to what elliot was saying about the inquisitors and what the ferrochemical hemallergy mm-hmm so this 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 is something that I did not remember from my first read, and and honestly, I don't have anything like super super profound to add or anything with that. But just um, I'm like my kind of hat my hat is off to Brandon just for this magic system and kind of all these different elements to it. You know, 
he's excellent at doing these magic systems. And this isn't like the first time I've ever seen this or anything like that. But it's just really well written, especially, you know, where this series started. I didn't know that we would get that kind of depth, you know, with the magic system and in that mm-hmm. way that ways that it's kind of over um overlaps between between these different elements. And it's just really clever, really neat, and stuff that you see early on with like the Inquisitors, like we didn't really quite understand that until just now. And and so um this book has a different scope compared to some of Brandon's other series. But like kind of hats off like that like that this although it's a little bit different in scope it still managed to kind of have that level of depth like you said elliot you said like 80 different words in a sentence that are all like you know like talking about (laughs) if i was ever to describe someone who had never read this series it was like oh yeah the magic system is awesome you have allomancy hemology and ferrochemy but there's also hemologic ferrochemy which is different from hemologic allomancy and here are the differences between it like like you you get really lost really quick if if you haven't like thought through it you know and so that's just something kind of satisfying and neat so anyways rant over we could talk about um we can talk about uh interlude no sorry not interludes epigraphs uh epigraphs you, you yes, wish we could talk about, about interludes i do absolutely <laughs> i wish where's eshik when we need him uh man, I miss him so much. Okay, here we go. You ready? I'm going to read the epigraph for chapter 33, 34, and then 32. And it'll make sense of why I'm doing that here in a second. Chapter 33. Hemalurgy is of ruin. It destroys. By taking abilities from one person and giving them to another in reduced amounts... Power is actually lost, in line with Ruin's own appointed purpose. Breaking down the universe into smaller and smaller pieces, Hemalurgy gives great gifts, but at a high cost. Side note, I think an alternate name that Sanderson was considering for Ruin was Entropy. Um, And that feeds into that. Chapter 34. Ferrochemy, it should be noted, is the power of balance. Of the three powers, only it was known to men before the conflict between preservation and ruin came to a head. In ferrochemy, power is stored up, then later drawn upon. There is no loss of energy, just a changing of the time and rate of its use. Back to 32. Allomancy, obviously, is of preservation. The rational mind will see this. Or, in the case of allomancy, net power is gained. It is provided by an external source, preservation's own body. All of that to read, to get on a little rant, how is allomancy obviously a preservation? Why, why does the rational mind see that? For In this case, allomancy, net power is gained. Why does net power gained equal preservation? Are you guys on... Seeing what I'm I'm saying here, preservation should have ferrochemy, which preserves one-to-one power. Allomancy should be something else, right? Am I crazy? 
Can I steal a theory out of your your hat and say maybe there is another one? A maybe third shard. A third shard here. That's that's definitely something I would say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it just really bugged me that it says obviously allomancy is a preservation. Like, oh, hold on. It's not obvious, first of all. Second of all, if we're talking about preservation of power, preservation, capital P, then we should be talking about ferrochemy because that's the preservation of power. Sorry. Rant over. One thing I want to say, you mentioned entropy and how that was thought of as a name for ruin. Yes. Um, so that's not like ruin is not entropy or not tied to entropy. Like ruin is ruin. But he thought about naming him Entropy. And I wonder if one of the main reasons for that was, I, I looked it up, and according to Wikipedia, you know, very reliable, um, Entropy uh, is associate, commonly associated with a state of disorder, randomness, or uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And my understanding, and, and I, I assume this is maybe why Brandon went with Ruin over Entropy, is we see a lot of stuff that's not random. Yeah. You know, it seems very intentional. Um, like our 16%, our 16s showing up everywhere that they possibly can, seems like, uh, is the number 16. And um doesn't seem very random, and it seems very calculated. It's like building one, I think we described it before, is like building one thing up to knock two things down. Yeah. And... It's just that, that kind of calculated destruction and chaos. So there was a lot there. Anything to add, Elliot? Was a lot there. Maybe I'll just add on super quick to your your rant about preservation in in, in a vacuum, taken kind of one by one. I think I would I would follow your your thought process there of preservation should be the balance, right. the keeping things equal. Maybe that changes when ruin enters the picture. Sure. If you've got if you've got ruin on one side actively working to tear down, what what does preservation look like? Well, maybe building things back up is is the act of, of preservation. So that, that kind of so that there's a net zero. Right. Right. Okay. So, so not so much like the keeping the status quo, but but actually adding back to the system to preserve against the decay and ruin. Gotcha. Okay. Maybe I'm a little bit less angry about it. And okay, this is what our third chapter talking about sixteen percent or sixteen or one sixteenth or whatever, Elliot. Third. Dude, Third or more, yeah. Honestly, do you it have? It gets come up a lot. Do you have any more thoughts on this? I have a few. I'm very intrigued by this. Sixteen. Why? Why sixteen? That seems mostly random. Doesn't seem like sixteen should align with ruin. Although I should jump on and and say we're we're still kind of a, making a couple of assumptions of, that that ruin is tied to the mist and the sixteen. So while I'm trying to answer the question, how does 16 fit with Ruin, a small voice in my head wonders if that's not the right question to be asking. Mm. So we'll we'll see whether that's true or not. But yeah, really intriguing. 16, 
definitely agree with what you were saying, Paul. That definitely seems like not necessarily randomness, not chaos necessarily, but more like a systematic destruction of of things. I do got to say, though, it bothers me slightly that and, and 99% of you out there are going are gonna to think I'm dumb. 16%. 16% and 16 really have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> it's, per, percents are not the same as, as numbers. So to include 16% in the same discussion as like 16 days I, I mean, the, the the math the math brain in me quibbles at at that one. But what about one sixteen? Because that's six point two percent. I would feel I would feel much better about one sixteenth if it one sixteenth has way more to do with sixteen than sixteen percent does with sixteen. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Sixteen percent is zero point one six. Which is not really related to sixteen. I, I in, mean, I see in, a sixteen there. I, mm-hmm. I, mm, the math, the math brain, it hurts. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a quibble. And yes, sixteen percent slightly related to sixteen, but percent. It's a different world when you're talking percents. You're talking fractions. You're talking decimals. I'm a little bothered that they were seemed to have been equated in in this discussion but i'm i'm tracking there's something important about 16. this this book may have been before he consulted professionals in their fields about their about their fields so maybe he didn't talk to a math whiz about 16 percent versus 16. should we talk about the coloss we had a a fact drop name drop this is like, yeah, a little factoid. Yeah, this is like uh, the human. Whoa, whoa, spoilers. Whoa, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bleep that for a second. Um, this is like nothing in Stormlight Archive. <laughs> uh, yeah, what did we think of? Coloss are secretly okay. Are they are they dead humans? Or are they dying humans that were pinned into Coloss? I didn't quite get the implication there at the end of the chapter. Because he's he's about to take a spike, like a tent spike. It di- apparently didn't matter. Um, walks over and is, and is going to spike either a wounded man or a dead man. I, I, th- I think there's an important distinction, and I didn't know which one it was. I was under the impression that it was a dead man. Because the way that this scene kind of, or that that discussion starts is human here uh, is asking Vin like he's saying we need more more coloss saying we need more like in reference to go to this like go to the place where the battle was mm-hmm. go to the place where all the bodies are essentially. Um, we need more coloss. So I'm taking that as these are dead but, people that, he that are being spiked. He doesn't go to the battlefield, though. He goes to the infirmary tent. 
That's true. I I took it as he was just going to the nearest dead human. Okay. That he gathered up a coloss skin and went to try and go put it on a dead human? And then the, it seems like the sorry, I got mixed up there for a second. Um like our our coloss they're they never we've never seen them gotten a hold of someone and just like badly wound them. They are always looking to like sever people in half. Right. And I I feel like if that were the case and they're always severing people in half and they needed people to be maybe damaged but alive in order to create more coloss, I feel like um the coloss wouldn't have made it super far if that were the case. So I'm I'm still thinking that this is a dead person that that they need that they need. Yeah. And it would also explain why Marsh has so many coloss. Remember the epic huge oh. number that we had? What was it 300,000? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, it's ridiculous. That would explain if if we're talking about dead people cuz then everybody he kills he just turns into coloss, right? <sighs> And specifically, human grabs, you mentioned it, the spike. He, what, what appears to be, and it's referenced that like he has spikes in him, mm-hmm. holding his skin onto him. Which kind of just, in the simplest term, maybe explains how their skin is kind of like barely hanging onto them. Well, it's, it's literally tacked on there with some spikes holding it together. He's just a a bag of bones with a pin holding the skin around it. But the the immediate implication to the reader who's been reading so much about hemallergy these last few chapters seems very apparent. Is there hemallergy going on? Are Mm. these spikes, very specific spikes, that are enabling the life i'm hesitant to use that word that is in the in the coloss creature or that might be evidence the other way of you do need an alive person to hemolurge their life onto the coloss body you know you're taking you're taking the life of a person and spiking it into the coloss body and then the coloss body is alive i guess i guess i'm I was thinking the human is the coloss body. Right. I can see either way. I did not remember this, by the way. This was quite the surprise for me reading or yeah. listening to this. I think I think we're also answering one of our other things that we were just talking about. If this was like a hemallergic spike and we were putting that maybe it has to do with the placement or the skin or something like that but if it was just a hemolytic spike that we were putting in a wounded person wouldn't they just be like spook like like just hemolurged person not 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 as we know the coloss to be where does i'm thinking that that specific coloss nature comes from maybe it's someone who's not alive that's uh, using hemolurgy or something like that. 
Um, because if not, then if if they were alive, then I feel like they wouldn't be a co-op. Unless then that there's some like magical property or something in the skin that's tacked to them. But I don't see that being the case either. So, and knowing us, we'll probably find out in the next chapter. And I just split the chapters poorly. Yeah, exactly. It. Th- my first question upon learning this is: Do the Coloss really have independent sentience? Mm-hmm. We've used that word a lot on this podcast, and I still cannot decide how to pronounce it. Sentience. Sentience. Yes. Are they just puppets on strings? Are they just bodies that have been cobbled back together and are always under the control of something? You know, we we see Vin and Ellen puppeteer the entire Coloss army. We know that Inquisitor's Ruin question mark might do the same. But my my question is, is that all that Coloss are? Are they are they dead? Is it just a, a dead body that's being puppeteered through hemalurgy slash allomancy, however that works? Or are they actually alive? Do they actually have their own being and thoughts? It seems like from our interactions with human, the Coloss, that they likely do. But I, I'm not sure. I'm going to think back to... Well of Ascension and if that would prove or disprove you. Because we have that Olas army that's temporarily under control of nobody. Right? But do they like let let's say let's make a gross assumption that they are enabled and working under magic that's related to ruin. Do they just kinda default back to ruin if they're not being controlled elsewhere? Are they are they puppeteered by Ruin, whether Ruin is actively controlling them like Marsh or mm-hmm. not? So not under the control of everyone, of anyone. I, I could take that as from the perspective of our characters as far as they know. What else? I think I think I might have answered a question that I've had for a long time now. Okay. And I I just, I need you guys' thoughts on this. Although, as typical with my theories, you likely can't answer me. Rafo is always an acceptable answer. Mm-hmm. I've been wondering about Vin's earring for a long time. Okay, I keep bringing it up every once in a while because it, it tends to get mentioned, like offhand. Oh, and by the way, Vin wore her mother's earring yet again. Or and it was, just happened. She was messing with her earring or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've read enough of Brandon to know those types of things can often lead to something that's important. So I've, I've keyed in on it. I'm determined that that earring that she wears is important somehow. And I even commented on it in our live reaction thread in our Discord, which our, our Patreon supporters can get to. I read a chapter, like maybe 15 chapters ago, it was like 20 or 22 or something. And it got referenced again. So I hopped in there and I was saying, ah, it's back. There has to be something about that earring that's important because it keeps getting referenced. 
over the next 12 or 15 chapters that we've read up to the point we're at now, I just learned a lot more about hemallergy. Okay. And it it hit me. It hit me. So we just saw Spook, right? Get stabbed with not necessarily a hemallergic spike, but a sword that is acting as such. Okay. What what is an earring but just a tiny little sword you stab through your ear? Okay. I guess that's yeah. a really good point. I don't know if I've ever yeah. asked that question or heard that question spoken, but valid question. What is an earring? I don't have pierced except ears, a little tiny so sword? maybe I should go get my ears pierced to try that. I we'll mean, see if it does anything. Be careful! You might walk out of the mall with hemallergic powers. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But you see where I'm going with this. I do. Yeah, theory, yeah, theory is. Theory established. Firmly cemented in my brain now. This earring I've been asking about for two and a half books. I bet it's hemallergy. I bet that tiny little thing is a hemallergic spike, maybe on a very small scale. Maybe it's not giving her some huge power that, that's changing everything. Maybe it's something subtle. Like her ability to pierce copper clouds. You remember what the earring's made out of? I was trying to remember this. I want to say brass, but I don't remember that for sure. Bronze. I, I, bronze? I was going to say, I thought it was bronze. Yeah. Okay. You remember, so, you remember what they sometimes mention along with the earring? Her mother. And? Her mother. Her Ooh. brother? Mm-mm. Close. The other sex. Her mother. Does she have a sister? Killing her baby sister. And giving That's her the right. earring. That's oh. right. Remember that? But wouldn't... Um, please tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> um, wouldn't, wouldn't it have to be killed, like, with the spike? Like, with the earring? What Isn't it? that part of it? As far as we know, I would agree with you. Yeah. I don't know the answer. That That, that may end up being an important answer if we find out anything more about that because i'm like if so like like this sword it is a spike but that's because it was used like a spike in the way of it it through the heart of a misting and then into a specific place on spook right right that sounds a lot harder with an earring specifically just based off size well what did we but just... i don't know maybe there, there may be different rules, or there may not be all the rules. So that's one thing that I'll kind of be watching for. I'm not sure. Yeah, what did we just learn with, about Marsh? Is you can spike and then not necessarily instantly transfer it, right? Yep. So I wonder if you can also spike and then not necessarily use all the spike, and if it does something. Right. I wonder if I wonder if Finn's mother. We're making a lot of assumptions at this point, but I wonder if Vin's mother used something and then took a sliver of it for an earring. Yeah. That's fair. I guess that would so, that make sense. So, Elliot, back to you. If we are going with this, this theory, copper clouds, that's what she can do with her with her earrings, pierced copper clouds? Is that the extent of it? And, and that's the addendum, my theory. The, the clause number one of the theory is that her earring is a hemallergic spike. 
basically it's a piece of metal, which we obviously that has alimantic power. Well, I'll go back. I'll say power. Some kind of magical power in it. I'm not sure if it's alimantic, ferrochemical, or otherwise. It's got some power in it that it is granting Vin an ability with because it stays in her. It it's in her ear, granting her that power by spiking through her her body. Although we did learn that like where on your body you're spiked with is you know very relevant and important to your ability. Yep. E- earlobes seems a random thing to be important, but uh yeah, then the second part is maybe that ability that she's been granted is her strange ability to pierce copper clouds, which she knows she shares with inquisitors who rely on hemallergy for a lot of their abilities. But but mainly just because it's kind of the one thing about her that's a bit unexplained at this point. She 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 has a bit of an ability. She doesn't know why. Maybe it's because she's got a tiny sword stabbed through her ear. Remember at the end of Well of Ascension, where she jumps in the well, and the well deliberately ejects her earring from her ear. I vaguely remember this. Yeah, it's one of the random mentions of her earring. There's like. There it is again. The the well preservation. The well specifically ejects the earring from her ear before accepting her. Preservation says, "Get that the hell out of my well." Correct. There's something weird about it. That is fair. I I man, this is why I'm glad we do this because I did not pick up on that. Anything else before we get into anyway. a little stormlight stuff? No, that's it. I'm. Really excited. I really hope I'm onto something because I've been wanting that earring to have meaning ever since we first saw it because it, it kept getting mentioned. And I know Brandon's MO at this point. I'm, I'm on to you, Brandon. Surely, I hope. Watch it end up being nothing. All right. Behind a Stormlight spoiler, I'll, I want to say this real quick. If I were to read Brandon Sanderson for the first time in chronological order, this is the first book that would really sell me. And here is why. What, what really stands Sanderson apart from other writers for me is not magic systems or world building or epic settings or what, what, a lot of stuff that he's known for. What really does it for me is character A having a very honest and heartfelt conversation with character B. A lot of my favorite scenes written by Brandon Sanderson are just two characters really having a heart-to-heart of exactly how they feel. A really good example of this is Dalinar honorably discharging Kaladin from the Windrunners in in Rhythm of War. It is such an incredible scene where Dalinar knows he has to discharge Kaladin and Dalinar knows how poorly Kaladin will take the news and you can understand exactly how Kaladin feels and you can understand exactly how Dalinar feels in this scene we get one of the we get one of those scenes for the first time in this episode where Elend and Vin walk into the ball and both of them are comforted that the other one is there and resting in each other's presence 
and able to dance and you, you just get a really good genuine scene between Vin and Ellen and there's other characters in it as well that I I think that's what Sanderson does the best for me is that when you have all of these other things in motion but you you stop for a second have two characters just talk for a second that's and another good example of these obviously is the Hoyd stories I am a big sucker for my Hoyd stories in Stormlight um, because it's just two characters really sitting down and having a good conversation and it's well established where these two characters are coming from. I think that's what's one of Sanderson's it for me, it is the best thing that Sanderson does. Question for you. Did you, did you not feel any of that in Mistborn book one with some of the heart to heart that Vin and Kelsier talk about? Does that not, not do it for you? It, it does. I just don't care about Kelsier that much. So they don't oh, hit. Okay. <laughs> so they don't. So the stipulations you have to really like the character too. Sure. I I have to really care about the conversation being had, but um, y- yes, that there is that certainly in the Final Empire. It's just some of the stuff that Kelsier comes up with. I don't. I'm not a big supporter of. Whether yeah. I don't care that much. Um. So they don't hit it like hit home for me. I guess. Got it. Uh, yep, I follow. Elliot? Well, for our audio listeners and our visual listeners, I have the outline in front of me. We have Stormlight stuff at the bottom, and we have Elliot, and he says in all caps, I have all the theories. So I'm going to turn it over to Elliot. Uh, what do you got for me? It's a little bit of poetic license and, and use of hyperbole. I don't have all the theories, but I got a big one. I got a big, big one. And spoiler, Stormlight, Warbreaker, the, the lot, everything. Spoilers, everything. Okay. I I read some of these chapters on hemolurgy late at night. <laughs> Ill-advised. Uh-oh. <laughs> at Uh-oh. 10 p.m. I know some of you some of y'all stay up till 2 a.m. and you think I'm an old man that I think 10 p.m. is late. But 10 p.m. is late for me. It's late for me. Past my bedtime. I'm reading. And I, I finished the chapter. I was like, oh, wow, man. I just learned a lot about hemolurgy. And I, I closed the book. I, I turned my lamp off. I, I lay down on my pillow. About to go to sleep. Like 20 minutes later, a lightning bolt just strikes. I sit bolt upright in bed. My wife is freaking out. Like, what is going on? And she hasn't read these books, so I'm trying not to spoil her stuff for for her. And so I'm like, I can't tell you. But I turned my light on, and I whipped my phone out, and I started just jotting down notes. Because here's what happened. Okay. We, lear- we learned about hemolurgy. We, we just saw a sword become a hemolurgic spike with Spook. We just saw Marsh spike somebody. Not immediately go and plant that in somebody, but carry off a, a, a hemorrhagic spike with them to go do stuff. There's another sword in the Cosmere that seems to have powers that it shouldn't. And maybe even with a bit of stretching of the imagination, does some ruin-esque things. And that sword, of course, is Nightblood. The sword is Nightblood. 
Okay, I'm sure the rest of you that are all listening, including the two of you guys on this podcast, have thought about this before. Because if you've learned about if you've learned about hemolurgy, I'm sure night blood has entered your your thought process at at, at some time. If you're if you're watching us on YouTube, Trevor is proudly displaying his little letter opener night blood. That come in a Sanderson box this year? Not little. It's huge. Thing is <laughs> eight inches tall. Yes, it came in the Sander- it came in the Warbreaker box. So, I mean, all all the questions just start flooding my brain. <laughs> what we, what I mean, okay. There's like 16 different question lines we can go down here. I'll, I'll just throw out the top level one. Could night blood be a hemallergic spike? So, couldn't any of our major metals i guess we we don't we know what night blood is made out of like what physical material it is and it's something like unusual it's some kind of like in my head it's from some like random asteroid or something like like some kind of mythical asteroid or something i don't remember i think it is they talk about it in warbreaker but okay so if we're talking full spoilers here I, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and one of my thoughts is like, okay, Nightblood is obviously on a very different level from a normal hemallergic spike. Is it a, a hemallergic spike that's like, you know, that's like been <laughs> hemallerged a lot? Like it's well, it's got a lot, let, a lot of blood on its plate, you know, or on its, if not plate, whatever the saying is, you know. Um, let's go. Let's go it's bigger. It's been a part of a lot of things. Is it a shard? Yes, that was my thought. So, so that, that's what you're thinking. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So, okay. Nightblood kills a lot. That was my first thought. Okay, maybe, maybe, just like you said, maybe Nightblood has absorbed, stolen a lot of powers just over the centuries, and has built up this incredible amount of power within itself. Why not go all the way and say Nightblood has killed a shard and absorbed the entirety of that shard's power into itself, giving it the, here's that word again, sentient level of being, a a, a amount of magic that gives it sentience, whereas like the spike that Marsh just created off that dude has such a small amount of power that it's, it's just a spike with some magic in it. Nightblood is like has absorbed shard levels of magic and therefore can talk to you, maybe destroy anything and everything we've seen in the Cosmere because nothing seems to measure up to it that we've seen. But I, I'm with you, but we have seen it. If we're talking full spoiler, then we've seen Nightblood be stabbed into Odium or Rays, right? right. And it, he ran out of steam. Like Nightblood could not consume the shard. It had a he had a great time, but he couldn't <laughs> fully consume the shard. You know, um. So it's like he he couldn't like consume. That was my understanding was that was Brandon Sanderson kind of putting a little bit of a limit on Nightblood, of like if he let him out, he wouldn't just destroy the entire Cosmere. Like he would, um. He, he he does have a limit, I guess. What if, what if that just means that Odium 
is more powerful than ruin. That when you put the full to the max power of ruin up against odium, odium wins. I, I, I could see that. What what does Nightblood constantly shout out? Destroy. Destroy, destroy evil. evil. Destroy. Destroy. Yeah. Okay. Ruin. Elliot, if I could give you your high school diploma for the Cosmere, now I, w- <laughs> I would give it to you. You have graduated. <laughs> These are the types of questions that are asked of Brandon Sanderson in the spoiler Q&A. What if you yeah. took 5,000 breaths, put them into Nightblood, and spiked Vin through the heart into Ellen? These are the types... These are the types of <laughs> questions that are asked of Brandon Sanderson, and he will sit there and go, what? <laughs> and then they will have to repeat the question, and it's, it, they're so funny. Because people, people will purposely try to like stump him on his own magic system, um, as, you can, as you can imagine. Because the, these types of questions, you are not alone. People, people will, will theorize all day. There are panels at Dragon Steel dedicated to what is the craziest Cosmere theory, in, inter-Cosmere theory you can come up with. That's the type of thing you're talking about. Hemallergic spike, night blood used through honor, like was honor killed with a hemallergic spike and now honor is in a spike somewhere like the you're, you're not alone you've graduated i'm so proud of you um to answer your question directly um no i don't i i believe it's been answered that nightblood has never visited scadrial i and i believe that's a confirmed answer however i will i i, I don't know that for sure and by the end of this book, you will not be asking that question. Okay. And after I after I calmed myself down at eleven o'clock at night, I did immediately kind of ask a few much smaller scope and more logical questions, like exactly what you just said. We could get a lot of answers if we could determine whether Nightblood has ever been on schedule. Right. And and that even you know maybe plays into other questions like, oh yeah, we could spin ridiculous theories about stormlight and hemallergy and all this can you even do hemallergy not on scadrial my guess is you can't but you can apparently do breath stuff on like roshar so i yeah, i don't know maybe i, f- I feel like hemallergy has the most what if questions compared to a lot of the magic systems like uh, is it tied to allomancy specifically is hemallergy and allomancy are they tied like i assume you couldn't like could you spike through a night radiant a windrunner into yeah. another person to then right. bestow them that because that'd be really crazy if so that'd be wild because 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 we know i'm assuming that can't happen because there's the nile bond right so unless you're transferring that nile bond then i don't think that could happen right that I, that math doesn't add up in my brain you know i i bet we might be asking some of the questions that the ghost bloods ask each other oh yes 100 percent 
one hundred percent. And the more you think about the ghost bloods, and the more they you, the more that you find out that the ghost bloods know, you're like, whoa, that's scary. So yeah, fight a car. Fight a car might be able to answer that question you just asked, Paul. Yep, that's a good. That's a really good point. We've seen. Yeah, we've seen someone with a spike not on schedule. Yep. So we think. could they you think he's yeah <clears throat> allegedly <laughs> rumor has uh, it. So uh, another thing to add to this a little bit Elliot. For one, I feel I feel lame because this is like the type of three that I love and I feel like I'm here being like, well, but actually um we've seen <laughs> where Nightblood's limits were tested and I hate I hate doing that, absolutely. I wanna say well reading through uh I wanna say it may have been Oathbringer. I remember I remember there was an int non interlude. Whoops, I did it again. An epigraph where it mentions Nightblood, I believe. I don't actually remember if it meant... So I read it as Nightblood, and it's some epigraph where it mentions like a sword and something with two shards. And that's all I remember about it. I can't quote it to you or even paraphrase it very well. But I just remember reading that and being like, oh my gosh. And at that point, I remember theorizing that Nightblood was a shard or was some way tied to a shard. Being like, oh, I've had it all wrong. Nightblood isn't one shard. He's two shards. And just, like, going crazy. And then I think Trevor promptly proved me wrong on that one. It was like, now it means something else. Uh, which was very sad. But um, just wanted to say, like, that was my prediction at the time. I think I was actually reading Mistborn for the first time at the time we read that. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Nightblood is has consumed both of the shards from Scadrial. That was where my brain was at that point. So, you know, um, I think I was wrong. Elliot, but, are you looking uh, for the epigraph? I just found it. You should stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've i gotten careful about uh, digging through You're... Coppermind. I know what to click on. No, 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 to... no, no, no. It's not. It's something in front of you. You should. You should stop before you you read something that you will connect. <laughs> you should. You should close your page, and reopen it after you're done with the Hero of Ages. There. I'd say go for it. Have fun. Paul, do we have time for a Stormlight refresher, or should we save it for next week? I think let's do it. It's a ton of fun. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's do a quick one. Elliot, you're going to lead. Here's your chapter title. The One Who Hates. The One Who Hates. The One Who Hates. Moash. It's a lot of Moash chapters. But when is he known as the one who hates? Uh, this is why we're doing these, because I need to refresh myself yep. on the, the order of events. Like yep. what, what happens when, because I, I have the gist of it all, but, but where, where do you specifically, oh gosh, Moash, the one who hates, he, he it, it, it's one of those where he has like a direct conversation with Odium and Odium is like, you got to do the thing, go and do my good work. Incorrect. And I'm going to play favorites because Paul's behind. Wait, wait. 
<laughs> are you about to give a hint? Because I think I know it. Okay. But okay. Are, uh, what, was, you know, that's my question. Do you want my hint or do you not want my hint? Well, I, I guess I should take the hint. It's, <laughs> it's not about Moash. Okay. Elliot was the wrong. It's not about hates. Moash. The one who hates. Okay. Big radio silence. Our uh, auto editor cuts it out anyway, so don't worry about it. Ah, gorgeous. Um, okay, I'm thinking a lot on this, and of course, I thought it was going to be the the scene where Moesh gets his like name change and becomes um, fire. I can't. I, yes. Vire? Is that what it is with a V, v or is it an V Y R E Vire? Okay. Yes, where he becomes Vire. I thought it was going to be that, but it's not Moash. Meaning, my brain tells me that it has to be Odium. Like my my brain is saying that this is one of those scenes where. Dalinar is like thrown into a vision with Odium. Um, like there's the big burst of gold and everything. I'm not 100% sold on that. The one who hates. That's what it's called, right? The one who hates. Okay, I'm going to stick with that. I have a second guess, but uh, but it's I don't think it's right either. So if it is that other one, I will just be mad. Both of but, you? Are incorrect. Both of you are thinking too large scale. This is back when Zeth is actually scary and referred to as the one who hates. Zeth attacks Dalinar in Elokar's Keep at the end of part two of Words of Radiance, and Dalinar, Adolin, and Kaladin fight him off, and Dalinar does the clap of the shard blade thing. Yeah. Okay. The one who hates. Yeah, I would not have gotten there. Road ID for Paul. You see... Oh, sorry. You see Teravangian out there? Do you know how he sees the world? Any cost, any price, is worth paying if you want to achieve... If what you want to achieve is in the end worthy. Follow him, and you'll be able to justify anything. My thought is that this is being spoken. Oh, okay, okay. Hold on. Okay, can can you read it for me one more time? You see Tiervangian out there. Do you know how he sees the world? Any cost, any price is worth paying if what you want to achieve is in the end worthy. In quotes. Follow him, and you'll be able to justify anything. Okay. I'm going to talk through all my thoughts, even though it may help Elliot out, but this is just how I have to process it. So first guess, my first thought was that this is being spoken to Dalinar. Okay. Just because we've seen a lot of Dalinar Teravangian discourse. Um, but actually, I'm struggling on who is speaking, but I think this is spoken to Zeth. At the, around the time of like the whole oath stone, whatever it's revealed that Teravangian sent him and all this stuff, or, or something with that. Okay. Um, I know that there's a lot of bad blood between Zeth and Teravangian, but as far as who's speaking it to him, 
or who would be speaking this is what is catching me up a little bit. The week that I won the trivia, it was Teravangian to Malata. True. And I'm like, Malata could be the one saying this. I don't know if we really get any dialogue from her. I don't think it's her. I don't think it's that. <sighs> because it feels like it's earlier. I think I think this is going to end up being one of those random other little characters that I don't remember the name of. I can't even think of anyone else who's like in Teravangian's crew, like on Teravangian's side. Maybe this is... Oh, man. Okay. Oh my gosh, I have so many going through my head. My, I, I, okay, you may this may sound crazy, but I'm also thinking that this could be one of the prologue scenes, and this may be Gavilar talking, but I don't think there's a scenario where they're looking out at Tervangian. Okay. Which is probably way off, but in my head that they there is one that they met. Okay, I'm going to just go with... Oh my gosh. You're getting full conspiracy theory on this one. I, I really am. I really am. And nothing is sticking as to who's saying this. Need to invent a shot clock for this game. I know. I This one, this one. Because, like, I feel like I can point to the Teravangian scenes really well. This is obviously. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um. Like, literally, I can think of so many characters that may be being spoken to. I can't think of a single person who would be saying this, like on behalf of Terravangian. Okay, actually, oh my god, this, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous. This sounds ridiculous, and I'm probably gonna get made fun of. My final answer: someone who knows about Terravangian. I'm gonna say that this is a spren. This is the Stormfather talking to Dalinar. And I don't think that's correct in the slightest, but I don't have any ideas as in to who would be saying this. Incorrect. So, okay. We move on. I, Elliot? I... This is Wit to Yasta. Incorrect. Here is the response, just like last week. I will, I'll read the original quote, and then I'll go into the response. You see Teravangian out there? Do you know how he sees the world? Any cost, any price is worth paying if what you want to achieve is, in the end, worthy. Follow him and you'll be able to justify anything. Response. And what if I think my, the actions I've taken are worthy? Paul. I feel like this doesn't help me. <laughs> I'm sad. Um, what if the actions I've taken are worthy? That's the second quote, right? And what if I think that the actions that I have taken are worthy? So I have two frontrunner characters in my mind. And those are, it could still potentially be Dalinar. And I don't know, maybe, maybe Moash. I'm trying to think of who's like really like, got all these actions that they think they're okay with. Okay. Um I think you broke him, Trevor. I, I'm absolutely in shambles. <laughs> I'm in so such shambles right now because I feel like I'm so on the edge of this, but so so far away. Uh, you're gonna think I'm crazy once again. I'm my final answer is gonna be 
that this is the scene at the beginning of Rhythm of War. I think this is Kaladin talking to Moash. I don't know why they're talking about Teravangian. That's what doesn't fit into anything that I can think of. Incorrect. Oh, 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 oh wait. Oh, okay, oh, that's fine. That's fine. You're incorrect, but... I am incorrect, but I think <laughs> don't, I may don't know give... what it is. No. Okay, don't give Elliot anything. I'm... Elliot, go ahead. I'm going to write it down. I was I was fairly confident in my first answer, and your your response has has thrown open the the floodgates. I I don't really know. I I still feel like this has to be the Yasna is trying to figure out who has the political power. They're like in your theory, trying to figure out who's following who. Dalinar, perhaps. I'm gonna go. This is Yasna talking to Dalinar. Incorrect. Paul okay. for zero points. What's your answer? Dalinar to Amaram. You're close. Okay. So <laughs> is it Kaladin to Amaram? No. Dalinar. I this is to Amaram. Dalinar is the first speaker. Okay. Talking to Adolin at the beginning of Rhythm of War. Adolin is not regretful of his actions to kill Sadius. And Dalinar is supposed is trying to tell him, you need to be better than this. See Teravangian out there. You could be like him and justify anything and Adolin says I'm not trying to justify anything I know what I did and I'm not sorry okay Should have that, one. That, that one thoroughly frustrated me <laughs> to the ends of my wit because I couldn't think of who would be talking to whom about Teravangian okay alright Elliot here's your review that was Fun? Question mark? And also weird? Question mark? I'm not sure what I just read. The final third of the story was definitely my favorite. Uh, fave, sorry, not favorite, fave. It took me a bit to get into at the beginning. There were some really interesting characters introduced and explored further. So I'm glad I read it. Tempted to go... Words of Radiance, for reasons I can't quite explain. But I'm going to go I'm gonna go a little bit out to left field and say that this is Edge Dancer. Ooh. And that the rating of Edge Dancer was... Uh, four. Five? Four. Four. Final answer, four. Edge Dancer, four out of five. Four to five stars for Edge Dancer. Paul. So I'm a little bit sad because I was thinking the same thing. And there's no way for me to prove that other than my word. So take my word for it, please. Um, I was thinking about Edge Dancer ever since I heard that this was f fun. Was it like with a question mark? That's what it sounded like. Um, and it made me think of edge dancer or dawn shard one of our novellas but i was trying to think of it through the lens of our big books because maybe that's a little red herring for me is to think about the novellas it sounds like this person is like picking up this book like it's it's not that deep in they're not talking about the awe-inspiring moments they're like oh these were fun characters and things like that um so if it's a main series book, I think it's The Way of Kings. But I think it's one of the novellas. I'm actually going to go with 
Dawn Shard, though, because I think there's more characters involved in Dawn Shard than Edge Dancer. But I also think this is a four to five. It sounds like they enjoyed it, but not like like it wasn't overwhelmingly positive. So I'm gonna go with Dawn Shard four out of five. So part of the rating that was redacted says, despite what others tell you, this is indeed required reading before Oathbringer. This is a 4 out of 5 rating for Edge Dancer. Elliot was correct. Paul, you were almost correct. I should have stuck with it. Alright, we are 2 to 1 for Elliot. Paul, you can tie it up. This goes to you. During the chapter, The One Who Hates, where Zeth attacks the Kolinar Palace, or I'm sorry, the Elokar Palace, not not in Kolinar, on the Shattered Plains, Zeth wounds Kaladin with a shard blade. Where? My best memory is that it's on his arm. I don't know if we have to be specific as to which arm, but I've always pictured like the kind of like on the top of the tricep muscle of the arm. That's your final answer. Yes. You are correct. And Adolin specifically sees this wound, and then Kaladin uses his arm because he heals with Stormlight like the day next day, and that's when Adolin starts getting suspicious. Because he's like, I could have sworn he chopped your arm off with a shard blade, <laughs> and you're using it just fine. And Kaladin's like, what are you talking about? I'm, I was fine. So that was... Two to two, so Paul, you have def- deflected the point going to Elliot and it goes to nobody, so we're still three to one in favor of Elliot going into next week. Anything else, gentlemen? Better than four to one. Certainly. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We'll reconvene next week. See you later. Beautiful. Bye.